Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting from verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in human hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what, are, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. And the second reading comes from James, chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And it is you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. Dan. Afternoon, my name is Rowan. Um, I'm the assistant minister here at Garrison. It's great to uh, be with you again. Let me extend my welcome to Dylan's uh, if you're visiting. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Uh, this afternoon, as we do each week, we are going to uh, sit under Scripture, hear what God has to say to us through uh, his word, and hopefully be a mixture of comforted, challenged uh, from it. So uh, please keep it open if you would like to refer to it on page 8. Uh, but in today's passage particularly, we're talking about plans, and plans are, are part of everyday life, aren't they? they? 
We need, we need plans to function in our world. Uh, we have to honour various work and home commitments. And so we plan. If you look at your calendars, you have plans for this week, probably starting tomorrow, 9am, or at sunrise. <laughs> uh, you might have plans throughout the week, community group on Tuesday, plans for holidays. Some have five-year plans, 10-year plans, retirement plans. Uh, we have plans, and James, in the passage today, addresses that. Uh, but he addresses it through looking particularly at a bunch of people in the church. James uh, was Jesus' brother. He was a pastor of a church in Jerusalem. And as we've been looking at throughout our letter, he's concerned about uh, those who have been brought into the family of God through Jesus' death and resurrection, living aligned lives. So what they believe and how they behave are aligned um, and so James, particularly in today's passage, addresses a group of people, merchants. Uh, and we have uh, this little passage which, in addressing them, he addresses us uh, by the Spirit. And merchants in, in James' day would have spent their times planning. They would have spent times in, in new places, establishing contacts and trading before moving on. And this is what James says in verse 13, if you look at the passage. Now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. The merchants, their job is to make plans. You'll see there it's got it all. It's, it's got dates. Today or tomorrow, it's got a place. We'll go to this or that city. It speaks of timing. We'll spend a year there. It speaks of people carrying on business. It's what merchants do. They make plans. And in a similar way, we do the same, don't we? We make plans. I don't know what your plans are, but for many, it's, it's, we, we, we study in our 20s, we get married and have children in our 30s, perhaps we aim to have a house paid off by our 50s, travel in our 60s, grandkids in our 70s. That's, that's the plan, but for many of us, we could say that plans don't always go to plan, do they? Uh, but making plans seems so normal, so average that we don't even notice it. It's like the air that we breathe. But today, what's, what's fascinating is James calls out this plan making. So although it seems normal to us, the normal business of planning, James says this in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. In speaking to, the, to these merchants, James is saying that your, your, your boasting or your planning is actually arrogant. We're going to explore why it is that he would say that, uh, what it means for planning to be arrogant, what it means if, if that's arrogance, well, what does humility look like, and then how should it affect the way that we make plans. But you see that, that James is tapping into something. In our planning... Often, we become the center of it, don't we? We turn in on ourselves. In all our business and planning, it's possible for us too to adopt a similar attitude to these merchants. So let's move through this passage and see what it has to teach us about our plans and how we can walk humbly under our God. Well, firstly, what, what was their fault? Why were the merchants arrogant? Why does James go after them in this way. Well, firstly, firstly they had a, a presumptuous view of the future. If you look at verse 14, 
So they make their plans, and then in verse 14, James says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. So in all their planning, we presume upon the future, and James throws cold water on them. You don't, you don't even know what the future holds, what tomorrow holds, what, what this evening holds. You have no idea. And in our planning, we, we, we know this somewhat, don't we? Because we make contingency plans. We make plan Bs all the time, whether it's to account for weather or for, for traffic, for, for sickness. But at another level, we don't think about it much in the sense that we don't like to think that things won't go to a particular plan because it reminds us that we're not in control. And we can find this thought upsetting. So when we, when we make plans, we tend to do it as if we are in control. We make arrangements as if they are a given. It's interesting, Jesus in, in Luke 12, Jesus is James' brother, and speaking in parable, it's a story, he, he tells his story of a successful farmer. This farmer, through uh, success, has, has gained much grain, he's got too much, and so he thinks about his plan. What will he do with too much grain? Well, what he decides to do is to tear down his old barns and to build bigger ones, his plans. Then he'll have plenty laid up for, for many years. It seems so normal, it seems so wise to make plans like this. What could be wrong? Well, Jesus goes on to say that it, it fails to reckon with God's timing. See, he's planning as if he is in control. He's making arrangements as if they were a given. And how does Jesus respond to him? Well, in verse 20, he says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. He was living, as it were, as a, as a practical atheist. He wasn't accounting for God in the picture. And this is what James is picking up on in the plans that these merchants were making. Their sin was that they... It's not that they were making plans but it was that it was failing to recognize that God was in control. It was failing to recognize that God makes the plans and not us. It was failing to recognize perhaps God's priorities and not our own. And James calls this arrogance. As I was preparing it, you know, the same could be said of, of me in my planning and, and scheduling do I, do I account for God's control? Do I think about God's timing? And do I recognize God's priorities with our plans, with our careers, or, or family, or weekend, or our own spiritual growth? Do we account for God's control, timing, and priorities? Could it be said of us that we sometimes live as, it were, practical atheists? And so James, in, in true form, throws cold water on our faces. Verse 14, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. So the arrogance of the merchants was that they had a, a presumptuous view of the future. But they also had a, a presumptuous view of themselves. In the second half of verse 14, James asked them what what is your life? And it's an interesting question. How, how would you like to be remembered? It might seem like a, a long way away for you, but 
But to think about how, how would you like to go down in history? How would you like to be remembered? What is your life? See, the merchants had planned their days with them at the centre. And often when we make our plans, what we're doing is putting ourselves at the centre, carefully shaping or curating our plans, our work lives, our home lives, our social lives. And the danger is that we too can turn in on ourselves, putting ourselves at the centre, working on our me project. But James gives us another dose of reality. James asks, what is your life? And then he says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's how James thinks we will be remembered. You are a mist. It's like smoke. Imagine if I, if I blew out a candle. You could see the smoke. You could, you could smell it. It's very real. But at the same sense, it's very transient. It's temporary. And it, and it vanishes quickly. Is that me? I don't think so. There we are. So smoke, it's very real. You can smell it. But it vanishes quickly. It's, it's transient, it's temporary. And that's the idea that James is getting at. We're like a mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. In the first reading the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about life under the sun. And in that book, the author, the teacher, talks about life being meaningless, or it could be translated like breath or a breeze. We're here one moment and gone the next. The teacher says, our lives are a mist, a vapour, a puff in the wind, like a bit of smoke. It comes and goes without any permanent impact or lasting impression on the world. And James is making the same point. In all our planning, we need to remember that our lives are but a mist. They're short. They come and go without permanent impact or lasting impression on the world. And it's striking to think about, uh, recently my auntie's been doing a little bit of family history, and she made the discovery that my grandfather's great-grandfather, there's probably a name for that, but I couldn't work it out, he was married in St. Philip's on the 24th of December in 1857. It's kind of one of those moments where you kind of have that warm-hearted feeling that you were connected somewhat with your past. But the reality was, I knew nothing about this guy. James, uh, he was a... Um, he worked on boats, was married to Margaret, who was a domestic servant from Bathurst Street. Um, they existed. We pulled out the registry. You can see their names. She marks a cross because she was evidently uneducated, and so she couldn't make a signature of her own. But the reality is th these people had hopes, they had fears, they had dreams, but I didn't even know they existed before this point. And it's a sobering thought, isn't it? Our lives are but a mist. How much could we say about our great-great-grandparents? Could you name three things about them? Well, no, our lives are a mist. We're here one moment and we're gone the next. And so James is, is seeking to pour kind of cold water on our faces to remember who we are. We're a mist. So life is short. But, but it also picks up the idea that life is elusive. See, smoke is, is not just transient, but it's also elusive. If you try to grab smoke... You know, put a little bit in your pocket. You can't do it, can you? It's a real physical thing, yet it dodges your fingers as soon as they get near it. The very attempt to get it kind of blows it and speeds its disappearance. 
And so James asks, what is your life? When we make our plans, we can often think, can't we, that we're, we're terribly significant to them. But James says your life is, is like a mist. Now we'll see that that doesn't mean that in Christ we don't have great dignity, but that's just a reality. It's, it's here one moment, gone the next. It's short and it's elusive. So in our plans we can think we will have lasting significance, but we will be forgotten, mere names in, in a registry. And that should, that should humble us. See, when we forget these things, James goes on to call this out as arrogance. When we make ourselves the centre of the world without reference to God, James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is, is evil. Well, what, what's the contrasting picture then? In contrast to the wrong view of ourselves and our future, what, what is the right perspective? Well, James offers it for us. In verse 15, what would humility look like? Well, if arrogance makes plans without reference to God, then humility, or as we've been looking at over the last few weeks, wisdom asks, what does God want? What will tend to His priorities or to His glory? That is, to recognise with our, our words, verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is God's will, we will live and do this or that. If it is God's will, we'll do this or that. They're not, they're not magic words, they're simple words. Words like Lord willing, God willing, if God wills it. But it, it demonstrates a posture, a humility, to recognise that in all our scheming, God is in control and we are not. In all our plans, God is outside time and controlling things. It recognises that we are not in ultimate control, He is. And despite all our planning... We are not. It's a heart recognition of what Proverbs speaks about here. In, in chapter 19, Proverbs says, Many are the plans of a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So we are to walk into humili in, in humility. It recognises that God is in charge, God is in control, and He is the one that determines our paths. And so we should walk in humility, recognising that with our words, but also with our plans and our life. And it mirrors the gospel, because that's how we come to know God. So humility is how we ought to respond to God in the first place. C.S. Lewis says this, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you can't see anything else that is above you. So in the gospel, what are we doing? Well, we're looking, we're looking above, aren't we? We're seeing that there is something else above us, God himself. But the wonder of, of the gospel is that he has made himself known to us in Jesus. So the gospel says that there is a God. He determines right for wrong. There is a God. He determines the affairs of humanity. But that God became a person in Jesus Christ and He's able to save you from your sins, save you from being turned in on yourselves, and to give you life forever. So our lives are a mist, but in the gospel they're hugely dignified in the sense that God sent His Son to die for us so that we could be reconciled with Him. Christ rose from the dead, 
He is judge and he is Lord. So what is our response? Well, we are to, to humble ourselves before him. The Apostle Peter says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up. Well, James in chapter 1 has said to the rich that they should take pride in their humiliation because they too will pass away like the wildflower. We need to recognize who God is and to humble ourselves before him. That is the very picture of the gospel itself. So how should this affect the way that we, we think about plans then? Because planning isn't, isn't wrong. In fact, we need to make plans in order to live but we need to do so in humility, recognizing who God is. So how should this affect the way we make plans? Well, firstly, it'll affect the way that we think about ourselves. To do that, we, we rightly start with God. He is in control. God is outside of time, and His plans are different from our own. We remember that, that we are, are missed, but also that we have great dignity in the gospel. Uh, in the New City Catechism, which is um, based on an old teaching tool from many hundreds of years ago where they ask a question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism, it says this question, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So when we make plans, we need to think rightly about God, but also rightly about ourselves, to recognize that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to embrace this reality with thanksgiving. But secondly, it will affect also what we plan. In the recognition that we are not our own, but belong to God, well, that should affect the priorities and the content of our plans. Sam Albury writes this, the 24 hours in a day, then, are not mine to use as I please. God has given them to me. The plans I form need to reflect this. So it's interesting, for the merchant that James is addressing, planning is about profit. Profit was driving his planning. And, and it's not that making money is wrong, that's what merchants do. Making some money is part of the goal of our lives. But for the merchants, it had become the main goal. And if you think for a moment, what, what, are, what are our main goals in our planning? Are our plans different from the world around us? Do our priorities, what do our priorities say about our, our faith in Christ? What do our calendars communicate about what's important? Have we become, in a sense, practical atheists? Well, a right response is for us to, to humble ourselves, to ask, what does God want? What will tend most to His glory? It's expressed in the words of the Lord's Prayer, where we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So we need a right view of ourselves, humbled before our God, but dignified in the gospel, It'll affect what we plan, recognizing that we're not our own, but our time is the Lord's, and so that shapes our priorities and the content of our plans. And finally, by the Spirit's help, we seek to do it. We say, as James says, 
God willing. We, we fear God and we, we walk in His ways. Or as James puts it in verse 17, we do the good that we ought to do. The good here, I think, is summed up in, in, in the royal law that he speaks about of loving God and loving others. And if we say at that point that my schedule is full, James is saying, well, that is a sin. Verse 17 says, to not make time and space for the good we ought to do is sin. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think at least it's, it's in our schedules uh, defining what's important to God and making that a priority. And at, at least that is meeting with God's people. Perhaps you, you've gotten out of the habit of doing that. I think that is at least reading God's Word, that is hearing His voice, at least it's serving His people, we're loving God and loving others. Uh, and that's a privilege that is ours, and our plans and priorities should reflect that. But it's more than that as well, isn't it? Perhaps it's, it's holding tight to whose we are when, when our plans don't go as expected. Perhaps it's being flexible to respond in love when intrusions come in on our plans or time and space. Perhaps it's a willingness to submit ourselves and to humble ourselves to God and to say, not my will but yours, and to pick up our cross and to daily die to self. And the wonderful promise of the Scriptures is, as we lay down our lives, we gain our lives. Life is offered, flourishing is offered in following Christ. So, as we go into, into this week, perhaps the response for us is to think about how do, we, how do we humble ourselves before God? Perhaps for the first time you need to, to recognise that He's in control and not us. Perhaps it's a needing to respond to Him through faith and trust in Jesus, to be reconciled to Him. Perhaps it's thinking through our own priorities, and whether they reflect our faith in Christ. Perhaps it's thinking about how we can, in our lives, humble ourselves, pick up our cross, and daily follow Christ. Let's pray for the Spirit's help to do that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it addresses us uh, and tells us of the wonder of whose we are. We thank you for our Lord Jesus that he died for us so that we could be reconciled with you and that by your Spirit you are remaking us to be like him. And so we ask that as we think about our plans and our, our priorities and our schedules that we might rightly humble ourselves to recognize that you are in control, that we are not, that we might see the great freedom that is there in that, Father, that we might in our schedules and plans prioritize the things that are important to you, loving you and loving others. And Father, by your Spirit, may you change our hearts so that we might seek to do this, uh, to think about those areas in our lives uh, where we can serve you and serve others, to die to self and to live for Christ. We pray for your Spirit's help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.